Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I am the host of the Manchester Living Podcast and a partner at Manchester Living. The purpose of the podcast is to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care. There's a uh, lexicon of elder care terms on the website at manchesterlivingpodcast.com. <clears throat> Excuse the horse and the, the, <laughs> the sore throat. It's just allergies. Today, we're tackling a subject called the sandwich generation. I'm excited to cover this as it is uh, becoming more and more popular um, topic uh, in conversation in, in our world. So, uh, But first, today's new and noteworthy. Lifespans and economic trends have created the sandwich generation, people caring for their children and older relatives at the same time. Roll the tape. Around the world, people are feeling the squeeze. Global trends such as longer lifespans and decisions around when to start a family mean that there is a growing number of adults who are simultaneously caring for their children and their parents. They've become the sandwich generation. Anyone who's working and a member of the sandwich generation is going to be under a lot of pressure. The costs involved in raising a family and looking after your parents could force you to dip into your savings, take more time off work, and increase your stress levels. This has a knock-on effect on employers. A stressed sandwich generation worker can mean unexpected absence, health problems, poor engagement, and a hit to productivity. It could even lead to higher staff turnover. Some employers have already begun to tackle the problem and are looking at new ways to adapt. Especially as more and more people join the sandwich generation and employee expectations shift. Employers that respond with empathy and flexibility can reduce turnover, improve productivity, and more deeply engage their people without disruption to the bottom line. The sandwich generation faces unique challenges and stresses, but strategies to support their needs can mitigate the impact. The result can be a healthy, confident, and engaged workforce that thrives on balance. Well, that was a good intro into this uh, discussion we're going to have today about the sandwich generation. Uh, today's show, we're talking uh, with two experts in the professional services industry about the sandwich generation and how they work with clients facing dual role challenges. Tressie Moore Weeks, the Weeks Law Firm. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brian. And Kelly Kuntz, Fiscal Harmony is the name of your company. All right. With that, Kelly, who are you and what do you do and what is Fiscal Harmony? Well, thanks for having me today for this important topic. Appreciate sure. it. My name is Kelly Kunst. I'm a certified financial planner, and I work with families on all sorts of different kinds of projects, including sandwich generation challenges they may face. Great. Tressy? I am an attorney with the Weeks Law Firm in Plano. We do estate planning, probate, guardianship, and then we also do estate planning for parents of kids with disabilities. Great. So what is unique about the sandwich generation that's different than all gener other generations? Kelly. Kelly. So one of the reasons why I was really glad to be here and talking about this today is this has been uh, on rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat in my family. Mm -hmm. We've experienced it with a lot of different uh, generations. And I think it's there was a great article on caregiver.org. It was 2015, so the numbers are a little bit old. But they talked about the issues for caregivers, predominantly female, that the lost wages and social security earnings is about $325,000 over their lifetime. It's significant. Now, we're seeing that gap close. More men are entering that space. 
but it's happened in our family a number of times. Uh, my niece, for a short amount of time, cared for my husband's mother, and she was one of them. And, and it wasn't only caring for a child, it was caring for an autistic child that she was homeschooling and caring for a mother with significant health difficulties. And it took a real toll on her health. It was really hard to watch. And, and I imagine you see some of that as well when you're working with families. It's just hard to watch. It is hard. We work, we, all three of us work with families in crisis mode all the time. And <clears throat> engaging in, um, in, in a situation where you are caring for two different generations and you're in the middle, what kind of prior planning should people be doing and thinking about starting a family and caring for their elders? Why don't you start trusting and I'll come on the back end. So the parents need to have their estate planning done, wills, powers of attorney, and things like that. The parents need to plan for not only their potential death, but also their potential disability or incapacity. So they do need to be working with an attorney to get all of that planning in place. And then there are financial aspects, Kelly, as well. And it's funny. Sometimes it's not the parent that's asking me to get involved. It's the child. We do a lot of intergenerational wealth planning and the kids become concerned about it. And, and then sometimes we start solving that problem from both generation standpoint at the same time so that we have a better plan for how it's going to be addressed. What legal documents should families be thinking about having in place as they uh, approach this uh, situation and also what costs are associated with those? Like what does a will cost? So they, they do need a will because mm -hmm. if they don't have a will then and they pass away, there has to be a lawsuit to determine who their heirs are. There has to be, it's expensive, it's time consuming. Many times we've had a man die and we had to research other heirs and found there was another child that no one knew about. They also need uh, financial powers of attorney, medical power of attorney, HIPAA release, declaration of guardian, those types of things. So some of the uh, individuals may want a revocable living trust. They may want to put their assets in that trust. And so if they become incapacitated, then their successor trustee can manage those trust assets for them or upon their death. If their assets are in the trust, then it can avoid probate. And when you say expensive, give me an idea of a cost of just a basic will. It really depends. Um, for example, our firm, we don't do just a will. We do the entire powers of attorney and so packages. So it's the whole package. It's the whole package. And that Which can you really vary. need anyways. Yeah, it can vary depending on um, the complexity of the family, the complexity of what the client wants. So usually you're looking at at least 3,500, but it can go up. The more complicated it more gets, the more expensive it gets. It yeah. But what we found is by investing money in that now, they're avoiding court involvement later. Overall, it ends up being a lot less expensive if they do the planning now. Sure. And I think just as a follow-on, I think one of the most important things is getting legal, CPA, financial advisors, getting them all on the same page and almost thinking about it like a family office situation where we're all talking with each other so everything is linked and we can really serve that family. Mm -hmm. How do you, how, as an adult child, how do you engage in even starting a conversation with your aging parents about documentation and start planning, et cetera? I mean, that's kind of a 
touchy subject, if you will, what's a good way to start that conversation? So I don't know, Kelly, if you've had that experience. Um, yeah, so you could share your experience. Remember I was telling you the story about the niece that took care of you. That was because there just was so much resistance in the family of planning ahead. I was talking with some clients the other day about how we were going to solve for some of these issues. And the client said, made a comment just about how it was sad to think about. And I said, well, it's going to be sadder if we don't have a plan and we don't have options. Like the, the happy part is you're going to have options. But that was not the case in our family. There just was a lot of resistance to it. Um, and that's always challenging. I think in my family, it's been a little bit easier in that my father has always kept me in the loop of what's happening. So mm -hmm. that's been a little easier. Which isn't always the case. Correct. It's the kids are the kids and the parents can handle the finances. How do you open that conversation? Unlike you, someone whose dad keeps it in a locked safe or a filing cabinet to say, you know, it's kind of time to show your cards. How much money do you and mom have saved? Can we do assisted living? Can we do in-home care? That's a tough conversation. It is tough. And I think the adult child is balancing their relationship with their parents versus the parents are sometimes thinking that that child is meddling. Um, they might think the child is greedy, uh, ready to have their hands on the assets. Mm -hmm. So some parents are private and they don't want to share that. And so what we found is most effective, again, is stories. You know, maybe the parents know someone that didn't do planning mm -hmm. and they saw what happened and bringing that up to the parents can help. Yeah. But it's difficult to balance respect for the parents, mm -hmm. um, balance that with wanting to make sure they're taken care of. Do the children need documents as well? I mean, if a, a child is going to be a medical or a fiduciary power of attorney, what other documents do they need other than that document to carry on their duties? So we want the parents to have their estate planning documents. So we also want our the, the adult child to have their own estate planning documents because they have their own children. So we want to make sure the adult child has their will, maybe a trust, powers of attorney in place so that if that child becomes incapacitated, they've got their own paperwork in place right. or if they were to pass away. Let's talk about powers of attorney. There's medical and fiduciary and there's seven siblings. Who's the boss? That's a real challenge um, when we have, um, sometimes we have one adult child bringing their parent to us mm -hmm. and we're not sure if, you know, that's a child influencing the parent right. or if really that parent wants that child to be driving it. I've had some cases where I will actually require mm -hmm. that we have a Zoom meeting with all of the children and make sure they're all on board so that one child is not a bad actor. You know, I like to think my clients are not the bad actors and right. almost always they're not, but we do have to make sure that um, everybody's on board. Now, usually they're not all on board. Mm -hmm. They're going to disagree, but at least we can read the situation and make sure that the person that is leading the show is the person that should be. And back to the, the boss, the boss is the person who holds the medical power of attorney for medical decisions and fiduciary for financial decisions. Is that where the box stops? Well, it is. I mean, obviously the per the older person is the boss. Mm -hmm. um, and then these people are just carrying out their wishes. But you do want to name one person as your medical power of attorney agent, one person as your financial agent, and then you can have alternates. So we don't want 
co-agents. That is, that doesn't work. Yeah. So that's something we're working on right now in our family. So mm-hmm. as a certified financial planner, I am actually the go-to on both sides of the family. Yeah. I loved your eye roll there. Like, yeah, there's moments. Oh, boy. <laughs> there's yeah. moments. Um, it, and it is a little challenging and getting all the siblings on board. And I think some of that is also, we tend to, as human beings, communicate in the style we're most comfortable with. Sometimes you have to think about what the person that you're trying to communicate what their style is. And, and I'll give you an example. So we're here, families in Wisconsin. Um, and we're navigating a lot of this right now. And one of the things I told my husband is you've got to tell your siblings these specific things about us being able to be there and what time frame if we needed to be, because we got to warn them. We, we, they aren't living our life. They don't know how hard it is to get a flight from Texas to Wisconsin, whatever. So I think sometimes you have to frame those conversations with your siblings and think about it, try to frame it from their point of view a little bit so that you get that everybody's on the same page mentality, but it's definitely not easy. Yeah, it's interesting in in our line of work, I mean, we all work in in elder care, but as, you know, whether it's private duty or in the care homes, I'm always looking for those two documents because at the end of the day, I I always consider the buck stopping there. That's the final decision maker. So if they have sibling issues, I just say the medical power of attorney said that so-and-so can't call, can't come in the house, can't whatever. That's the final decision. So choose wisely, right? Yes. And, and Brian, this may be one of your questions, but a problem that we have faced is the adult child calls us and says, I want a power of attorney for my parent. And we have to be very clear that the child would not be our client. So our client, if we're preparing a power of attorney for the parent, the parent is our client. And a lot of people don't understand that. And so I make it very clear um, when we meet with a client, I will actually meet with the elderly parent by themselves Mm -hmm. to make sure that this is what they want. And then um, keep, you know, the other, the adult child maybe in the lobby until we're ready to bring them in. But a lot of times the child thinks they're the client. So the technicality is you're drawing documents for the parents. The parents parents are the the client. Right. They're paying the bill. And they're driving what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Now the child may be assisting, but I have to make sure the child's not making decisions for the parents. Right. Right. Um, What is guardianship and when is it necessary? So guardianship is when we have to go to court and have a, a guardian appointed for Um, an adult who's no longer competent. If we have powers of attorney in place and we may have their assets in a trust, usually we don't need to get a guardianship if we have all of those people in place. Typically guardianship comes up when they have not prepared powers of attorney and things like that. Mm -hmm. And nobody has the Mm -hmm. authority to help um, get mom enrolled in a assisted living place or whatever, then we have to get guardianship if, if the parent is incapacitated. Guardianship is expensive. It's time consuming. It's not pleasant. So that's one reason advanced planning is so important is to avoid that. Of course, everything comes back to money. We're talking about the cost of elder care. And now you're, you're, you've got a dual role. You're dealing with the cost of child care and the cost of elder care. Medicare is not covering that. Correct. What are your What are your options? So 
in the past, there was long-term care. That's what people thought of. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a much more fluid discussion now. So for example, we use a planning methodology that's ours where the first thing is your story. Who are the people that we need to serve with the money? And especially in sandwich generations, these are the things we're going to ask them about. And then see cash and cash flow. And so the solution becomes there's so many different ways you can go with it. There's, there's more strategies that are available than there were even 10 years ago. And so a lot of the questions really start coming down to um, where do you want the care to be delivered? Um, is there a member of your family that's going to be responsible for the documents, reimbursements to insurance companies, things like that? Because some of the strategies actually have concierge services that we can use if that's an issue. Um, it comes down to underwriting. It comes down to how long do you think you're going to need care? Sometimes we can look at family history and get some idea of that. I think the Texas Health and Human Services averages are about 70% of people need care. Average is 3.2 years. A conversation we had with this one particular family where she said, you know, it's sad to think about it. In my family, sometimes those care discussions were precipitated by an event, right? Grandma, this actually happened. Grandma laid on the floor overnight when she fell. Wouldn't it be better if you had levers you could pull so that doesn't happen in the first place? And so there's ways to build these solutions in light of cash flow. And then I think another thing to think about is there's strategies that will allow non-licensed caregivers, which I know is what you do, but sometimes earlier in the process, you don't want grandma falling and laying on the floor. Maybe it would have been better if there would have been a family member that could be there for lighter care earlier on. You know, mm -hmm. mom's taking a shower, she needs some groceries cooked, whatever that wouldn't it be better if we had a continuum of how that money could be flexible around that person as they age? Get creative. Well, and the more I know, the more I can help. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the kids um, in the sandwich generation, what planning do they need to be thinking about right now for the future and then for their kids as well? Can well, we I, I think the first thing is financially. If, And I would argue that the care caregiver.org, when they were talking about $325,000, that was in 2015. So mm -hmm. that number is much higher. And, and all of these costs have gone up. So I think if that sandwich generation person is thinking about how do I need to care for their parents, it's actually the most opportunistic time for them to be thinking about it in their regard as well, so that you don't have this generational shift of we are always having this conversation about what are we going to do about mom? Learn from past mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. <clears throat> While we're on difficult subjects, let's talk about second marriage. That adds a whole different dynamic to this conversation. Where do you start? We're seeing more and more elderly people getting married. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 70, 80, 90. And this creates a problem. Sometimes the family doesn't know if this is a person who's good for their parent. Sometimes it's not. It might be a caregiver. It might be a gold digger. It mm -hmm. might be someone like that. 
So this has been a challenge. Um, I've seen two situations, one in which the children remained very active in the life of that parent mm -hmm. and their new spouse. Uh, I saw another one a few years ago where the children were not active because that new spouse isolated them. The new spouse did not take care of that parent and used their money for their mm -hmm. for themselves. Um, so it's very scary um, for the adult children sure. when that occurs. And, and I just encourage to try to keep conversations open with that parent, but also try to keep that relationship so that you can see if something is going on. I also encourage people, if they're having a late in life marriage, to get a prenup so that when, you know, when that parent dies, it's very clear awesome. what goes to their new spouse and what goes to their kids. Because some of these people have built businesses or large estates that were supposed to go to the kids. And they want to provide something for their new spouse. Right. So it's better to have a prenup and clarify that. I think this whole situation sounds familiar with Casey Kasem, mm -hmm. where his second wife or right. third or whatever wife that was excluded the kids. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty. It's become much more common. Yeah. And there are a lot of scammers out there who will sure. you know, marry uh, an older person, yeah. not take care of them, and try to take their money. So it's very scary, especially for the kids. It's so interesting, and it's such a current topic. I appreciate mm -hmm. you guys. What haven't I asked you that I should? I can't think of anything else other than you know the parents also, if they've got adult kids, they want to have medical and financial power of attorney for those kids. So if they're in the hospital, they've got permission to talk to the hospital. Great um, I've even had Great some advice. parents um, of young people make sure they're they're child has a prenup when they get married so that their inheritance doesn't end up going to their spouse, but it stays in the family. Back to planning. Yes. What haven't I asked you that I should, Kelly? Um, I don't know if it's that we haven't covered it. I think the number one piece of advice is as a family that's doing this planning, find professionals that you feel comfortable talking with that looks different for everyone but invest that time, ask questions, and find someone that you can really have those conversations with so that, because we can, in both cases, there's so much more we can know, we can do for those families that we're serving if we know what's all going on. Yeah, great. All right, on to the nugget portion of the program. This is a great visual that I've, <clears throat> that I've seen on the internet a couple of times. It says, one day, son, all this will be yours. It spoke to me. I recently gave some family heirlooms to my kids that were given to me after my grandparents died, and I wanted my kids to have them now so we could enjoy them together. So that's something to consider. Words of wisdom from a young man. There you go. On to the lightning round. This is an opportunity for viewers to get to know you guys outside of work. We'll start with Kelly, and then we'll move down. Where were you born and raised? Wisconsin. Where were you born and raised? I was born in West Texas and raised in the Dallas area. Nice. Uh, what professional licenses do you hold? So I'm a certified financial planner and also have a background in behavioral finance. Oh. I have my JD, which is a law license. I'm also a chartered advisor in philanthropy. Nice. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Extrovert. All right. Are you an outdoor person or Sofa City? Outdoor. Outdoor. Okay. What's your favorite kind of candy? Dark chocolate. Lily's chocolate. Ooh, so specific. <laughs> College and degree? Uh, bachelor of Education in Wisconsin. 
I have my undergrad and law degree from Baylor. All right. Go Bears. Cry out loud or suppress it? Suppress it. Suppress it. Wow. Shocked. Still in touch with childhood friends? Yes, absolutely. A few. A few. All right. Spicy food or plain Jane? Depends on who's cooking. Spicy food or plain Jane? (laughs) Spicy. Spicy. Call or text? Call. Call. Ever broken a bone? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you change a tire? No. No. Um, Android or iPhone? iPhone. iPhone. There you go. Um, Over prepare or wing it? Over prepare to an nth degree. (laughs) I am the same. Way over prepare. I guess. Karaoke, yes or no? Well, since I have singing in my background, it depends. Ah. Some of it's painful to listen to. All right. Yes to karaoke. You just would not want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you both for being on the show today. It's a very interesting subject. Um, if viewers want to see this episode again or any other episodes, you can log on to ManchesterLivingPodcast.com or do a search on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever, get, wherever you get your social media. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out directly. Also, we're going to put up the URLs for both of your firms on the screen. And I want to thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Brian. The interpretations and organization of these ideas are the confidential thoughts of Kelly Kunst and do not represent the opinions of Berthel Fisher and Company Financial Services, Inc., registered representative and securities offered through Berthel Fisher and Company Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS, member FINRA, SIPC, investment advisory services offered through BFC Planning, Inc., GS Wealth Management, Fiscal Harmony, BFCFS, and BFC Planning, Inc. are independent entities. (laughs) 